So, yeah, today we're going to be looking at the next one in our series of prayer. Uh, We're going to be looking across the year at different people in the Bible and using their prayers or how they speak to God uh, as a model or as an inspiration for our own year of what we're calling being saturated in prayer in Jubilee. Uh, Last month, Simon looked at praying with Abraham. So today, as Becky's already said, we'll be delving into prayer with Moses praying with Moses and allowing that to shape the focus for our week of prayer ahead. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I don't do to-do lists very well. Um, Jodie in the office has to-do lists everywhere, and she ticks them off one by one uh, very diligently. I have a to-do list, but it's often very old, Uh, And I can cross them off in bulk because I've already done them months later when I should have done them months before. Or I end up adding things at the bottom and then crossing them off once I've done them instantly. Uh, So I already do them, add them to the bottom and then cross them off. In fact, uh, there was a moment where I had to go on. So I ended up going on a time management course at one point in my previous job just to help me kind of understand a little bit about to-do lists and maximizing things. and how to maximize your to-do list was you, uh, you highlight things in red that are urgent, okay? You highlight things that are yellow, that are important, but not urgent. And green is necessary, but not important. The idea you do the red things first, then the yellow, then the green. Uh, the trouble is, I spent so long making a to-do list that I ended up running out of time to actually do the things on my to-do list and ended up crossing them off because there was no point in doing them. Um, Incidentally, there's now a thing called a Tada list, which apparently is where you write down things that you've done already and then celebrate what you've done. So I'm I'm gonna go with that one, I think, definitely. Um, And uh, I think that's it, that's it, that's my preach. No, um, but today, (laughs) did you know that God has a priority to-do list for us? Uh, he's, he's written us a to-do list, and we're going to look at this through the prayer of Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Now, in life groups this week, uh, we've been focusing on the presence of God. Uh, that was the whole idea and the whole thought of life group this week. This wasn't planned for me to preach today on Moses and the presence of God. It, they just kind of fell godlike, I think, into the right place. And so it's just going to be a week of the presence of God, which I'm really excited about. And we're going to focus on that again this morning. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you so much that we get to be in your presence. Father, thank you that you are here amongst us. And Lord, I just pray as we, as we look at these words that Moses said. And we look at the conversation that he has with you, Lord, that we would learn something. And Father, it would, it would encourage us and inspire us in our own prayer life. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we arrive at this passage after what I'm calling the golden calf incident. If you know the story, Moses had been up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the other laws, and he'd been going up and down the mountain at different times and had built an altar to the Lord, and he'd gone back up and he'd spent 40 days and 40 nights without food or water up there, and had come back down to find that the Israelites had essentially thought that Moses had gone for good. And so they built their own altar and a god of a golden calf out of their earrings, and then God punishes them for this, and then we pick up what's happening 
after uh, that incident that has happened. Now, a little bit of context from where we're going today. Exodus in chapter 3, so 30 chapters back, from as early as that, Moses knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. He encountered God at the burning bush and hears him having to take off his shoes because he's on holy ground. God promises to go with Moses and help him speak when he has to go to Pharaoh and give him the words to say. And then he says the same thing again when he sends Aaron with, uh, with Moses to do the same. He says, I'm going to go with you. I will give you the words to speak. Moses has such a close relationship with God. And there's conversation throughout Exodus that he has with him. And there's even experiences being in the cloud of God's glory. And Moses loved the presence of God. Now, the presence of God, the word presence simply means that they're there, that God is here. The presence of God, God is, is here. He's in the room. You can sense him. You know him close. One of my favorite theologians, uh, who is a preacher and an author of, of the past, is A.W. Tozer. And he describes the presence of God as this. The great passion in the heart of every human being who are created in the image of God is to experience the awesome majesty of God's presence. The highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. Nothing can quench this burning thirst. The average person unable to understand this passion for intimacy with God fills their life with things hoping somehow to satisfy their inward longing. They chase that which is exterior, hoping to satisfy an inner thirst, but to no avail. I think that's just a wonderful description of what the presence of God is. And in the 17th century, there's a, a monk called Brother Lawrence who has uh, had all his letters and conversations collated in the practice of the presence of God. And he explains this, the most holy the most all-encompassing and the most necessary practice of the spiritual life. It trains the soul to find its joy in his divine companionship. It trains the soul to find its joy in his divine companionship. So we've just read that Moses, in, in verse 7 of chapter 33, used a tent called the Tent of Meeting, pitched outside the camp in the desert where they were to spend 40 years. And a pillar of cloud would descend whenever Moses went to talk to the Lord and would speak as one speaks to a friend. Moses knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. That's what I need to just put down as a bedrock before we carry on. He knew what the presence of God was and he knew what it was like to be with God. And so when we read in chapter 33, verses 2 and 3, these words, Moses was concerned. In fact, it says the people were distressed. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. God is still going to send the Israelites to the promised land, the land he's promised, but he'll send an angel with them and he's not going to go. Now, there's nothing new in God saying he's going to send an angel before them into the promised land, 
chapter 23, 10 chapters back, God said he would do this. But there's a real stark difference between chapter 23 and what it says here. In chapter 23, God lists what will happen when they get to the land. God says, I will do this. I will do that. I will drive out the Hittites. I will do this. Here in chapter 33, verse 3, God says, go up, but I'm not going with you. Because of what happened with the golden calf, God says he can't be with them in the promised land. And in response to this, Moses then starts to remind God what he said and who he said that Moses is. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that children can be really quick to remind you what you've said. Whether it was a passing half promise of an ice cream once we finished the shopping, or do you remember a month ago when you said you can guarantee that they will remember what you've said? A real reminder of maybe let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's something I am definitely learning. Children will also remember, though, what's said about them. They're going to remember the words that affirm them. They're going to remember those times when we have affirmed and given them praise. And they're going to remember the times when we have put them down and we have been really unkind to them. And this is what Moses does here to God. He's like a child coming back to his father saying, look, in verse 12 and, in verse 12 and 13, he says, look, you told me to lead these people. And you haven't actually said who's going to go with us. It's almost like a please coming. Look, you've said you're not going, but who is? Who's coming with us? You told me that you know me by name. You told me that I found favor with you. But also, at the end of verse 12, um, it says, uh, sorry, the end of verse 13, it says, but remember also that this nation is your people. You see, Moses here is emphasizing this corporate thing. God has spoken to them in Exodus chapter 19 that they are to be, their identity is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the promise that Moses is leaning into here. Yes, Moses reminds God of all the promises he's being given. Reminds God that he knows Moses' name. Reminds him that Moses has favor with God. But he also reminds God that the nation of Israel is his people and he has promises for them corporately together. Now, at first reading, I think, oh, my word, the audacity. He's God. Of course he knows. But a part of contending and wrestling in prayer is calling to mind what God has said about us. Telling God what he said. It's a bit like the identity statements that Rob did with us a few weeks ago. Declaring out, God, you said this but flipping it around into this corporate thing. You said that Jubilee would be a present-centered church. You said that Jubilee would be this. Again, it's identity. We've got the who am I. Becky looked at that last week. But also, who are we as a church? Who has God said that we are? And when we remind God of this, it's not like he's forgotten. It's not like he suddenly goes, oh, of course, <laughs> sorry. Uh, he's sovereign. He knows it all. But sometimes there's a real need for us to grasp what God is saying and to declare it so that we understand it and we get on board with what God is doing. God offered to start again with Moses. He offered to start again. Moses, I will be with you. I'm coming with you. Okay, I'll be with you, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going 
to the promised land, but I promise that I'll come with you and my presence will be with you. But in verse 16, these are some really well-known phrases, 15 and 16. It says, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. God says, I'll go with you. But Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, there's a corporateness to this. He gets the idea, truly grasps the centrality of this corporate nature of the people of God. See, we're called to be on a mission together. It's not just an individual calling. Salvation, becoming a Christian, being saved is an individual decision. But it's not an individual calling. In Acts, it says that people were added to the number who believed daily. You are saved. You are added. We are a people of the presence together. That is why we meet at corporate prayer meetings tonight. We could just stay at home and pray on our own, but we meet together because we come to pray for situations together. That's why we stand together when things are tough. There is an individuality in the identity of Christ, but there is a corporateness too. That is so important to grasp. Otherwise, we're just out on our own. And Moses got that. Praying with Moses here is teaching us to declare what God says about us. Knowing God and ourselves from that position. Moses knew God from time spent with him. And therefore, knew what God had said about Moses and about the people of Israel. Do you know what? We get to pursue the presence of God. And the starting place of our prayers comes not only from our personal identity with Christ, but our corporate one too. We know who we are. Our prayers begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love for us. In verse 14, God answers Moses. And as we've said, he said, my presence will go with you. And this always confused me, this passage, because then Moses says, but if your presence doesn't go with us, And so there's there's that corporateness thing again. My presence will go with you, Moses. No. If your presence doesn't go with us, then do not send us up from here. You see, Moses doesn't want to settle for the people of God being led by an angel, just taking them into the land of milk and honey, but then not having the presence of God with them. He wants a place where God dwells with his people. Simon last month looked at Abraham's courageous intervention over Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we see it again with Moses. He comes before God, who has just said in verse 3 that he won't go with them because he might destroy them. And he starts to negotiate with him. He points out to God that it's only his presence that distinguishes them from all other people on the earth. What else distinguishes me and your people from all other people on the earth. It's your presence with us. He's essentially saying, make us a people of your presence, otherwise we're not going. It's God's presence which makes us his people. And you can see a parallel here with Pentecost in Acts 2. A timid, flawed, damaged group of men and women transformed by the coming of the Holy Spirit into a bold people of God, who are then on a mission to proclaim the resurrection power of Jesus. You could go as far as to say we are nothing without the presence of God. Tim Chester, who commentates on Exodus, says that actually the greatest judgment of God is not his presence. 
It's actually the absence of his presence. He said, that's what hell is. It's the absence of God's presence. Can you imagine a world where there's absence of God's presence? I mean, you can go and read Ezekiel 7 if you want to. Just before the glory departs the temple, it's, it's horrifying when the glory goes just before the presence of God leaves. When I used to work in schools. Young people used to ask me all the time, right, where's God? Because things are so bad in the world. Where is he? And I used to find myself saying, well, God is in the world and it's our human sin that causes the pain and the bad. And then I went away and thought, could you imagine what it was like? if God wasn't in the world at all. Horrifying. And this moment of realization is happening with Moses, that God's presence wouldn't be with them as a people. And to Moses, it doesn't bear thinking about. And so he asks not to be moved if God doesn't go with them. Even though the land is flowing with milk and honey, the promised land would have been amazing in its physicality, just settling for that is actually really terrible because God's presence won't be there. Now Moses turned down the land of milk and honey if God's presence wasn't going to be there. And I think there's real echoes there going straight through to the fact that Jesus left God's presence and died a sinner's death rather than leave God's people without access to the presence of God. God says, in chapter 33, verse 5, that he might destroy the people if he goes with them. But do you know what? Because of Jesus' death on the cross, taking the punishment for us and his resurrection into glorious life, there is no penalty left to pay. And the Bible says we now can freely enter into his presence and the full glory of his presence in the future. But I wonder how often we settle the offer of the land of milk and honey without having to worry about the all-consuming presence of God, which means we might have to change our behavior and insists on holiness. How often do we settle for what seems like a great deal, but we seem to have missed the presence of God? Let me explain it. I've heard stories of people growing up in churches and coming to know Jesus uh, for themselves or coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior through some powerful life-changing moment and going to church each week and life group each week and settling for what feels like a good deal. They hang out with people, they worship Jesus with song to receive forgiveness, they get help, they get people standing with them, but there's something missing and it's the presence of God both individually and corporately. God's dwelling amongst those people by his Holy Spirit. You know, at Jubilee, we are a church who love the presence of God. We love to spend time in his presence. We love to, as the revivalist and prayer minister, Ruth Heflin, put it, praise until the spirit of worship comes, worship until the glory comes, and then we stand in the glory. We are not a church that is satisfied with the milk and honey of the land. We dwell with God. God is here. As we heard in the leadership talk a few weeks ago, everything stops for relationship. And I think that it is no more true than in our relationship with God. If we have not got ourselves in the right relationship with God before we start, we might as well go home. If we don't put God into his rightful place and say, come and dwell with us, we might as well not be here, in my opinion. 
we know that he is with us on our journey. We know that we will follow his lead and we love that we have the ability to access and do that. We just need to keep the awareness here that whilst we love the church values, we rest in the authenticity, in the passion, the honor, the family, we celebrate the courage of this. All of this is nothing without the indwelling presence of God. As Paul says in Philippians, I consider all things a loss compared to knowing Jesus. And this is the equivalent of Moses and the Israelites just settling for the land of milk and honey, but without God being there. We need to know his presence around us day by day. We need to move when he moves, pause when he tells us to, and not settle for milk and honey, as wonderful as that is, but be someone who dwells in a place with God and his presence. And you know what? People will start to see things personally and corporately differently about us. Who will, uh, what, what, is it, what else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? People have often asked, why are you so happy and content all the time? It's the presence of God. It's the joy of the Lord. I uh, used to work at, at the council and I was a lady who did Reiki uh, who was into all kinds of spiritual stuff, and she walked into my office once, and she just went, oh, you've got a gold aura. I've never seen a gold aura before. I was a bit taken aback, but I kind of walked in, and everyone in the office thought we were mad. Um, and then I kind of walked out and thought, oh, what's the problem with the Holy Spirit? You, if you've never seen one, because you've never seen the presence of God before, or someone who carries the presence of God with them. There is something different about Jubilee compared to other places that we've been in. We are just longing for the presence of God and we're found in God dwelling here. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of God? Again, this week we looked in Life Group at Pete Gregg and his description of prayer as an hour where you can refocus and recenter on Jesus, becoming fully aware of his presence again. And then you carry God's presence with you into the other 23 hours of the day knowing that he's with you. You can know the presence of God and it doesn't have to be in an encounter meeting or a big event. As an example, Bob will often shut his door in the office and say these words, I'm just going to spend some time with Jesus. And he'll go and sit in his presence and speak as one speaks to a friend, as it says in verse 11. It's as simple as that. Just spend some time with Jesus. Moses knew and loved the presence of God so much that he refused to go somewhere where God was not. And so praying with Moses here is not settling for a life without the presence of God, both individually and for us corporately. It's about contending for a life with, as Tozer puts it, a passion for intimacy with God. We've got full access now because of Jesus, so we can pursue God. Moses didn't settle for being where God wasn't and he didn't settle for a place where wasn't going, God wasn't going to dwell with them. And then the last thing, Moses asks for more. <laughs> God affirms to Moses in verse 17 that he's found favour and that he does know his name and he says, I will do what you have asked. So I'm, I don't know what, I'll go with you. I'll go with you as a people. And then Moses stands and boldly says in verse 18, now show me your glory. 
This is Moses who's been to the top of the mountains with God in his glory cloud. (laughs) This is Moses who's had amazing conversations with God. He's spoken to him through a burning bush. Anyone? Uh, But he still isn't satisfied and he still wants to see the glory of God. I wonder if you ever encountered just a glimpse of the glory of God. It's not some little warm fuzzy we're talking about when we pray for the presence of God, but when we ask for the glory of God, it's not a little pick-me-up to get us through the week. As I, I often used to think that you know we come as weary people on a Sunday for an injection to go through the week. It shouldn't be that. Sunday should be a celebration of God's presence through the week, and it should be an almighty crescendo of what God has done. We're asking for God to be with us. The awesome, most high God, the beginning and the end, the creator of all things, the one who's seated above all things, who is an all-consuming fire, who is indescribable, uh, the incomparable God. We are asking for the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead to come and fill us again and reveal more of the Father's love. That's what it means to say, show me your glory. One commentator defines God's glory as the manifest beauty of his holiness. But then in the next sentence, he says, but you really can't define it. It's like trying to define what beauty is itself. What is beauty? You can point at beauty and say, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. But what makes it beautiful? I don't know. It just is. Moses wants to see the manifest beauty of the holiness of God, the glory. that It just is God. And what's really interesting here is that God says that Moses can't see his face as he won't live. But earlier we saw that Moses spoke face to face with God. Now we could get into a massive theological wrangling here of root words of presence, glory and face, but we're not going to. What we need to grasp is that there is always more with God. We can never say that we have fully experienced or encountered the presence of God to its fullest. Not even Moses could see the full face of God. Whatever these face-to-face meetings were, was clearly not the full manifest beauty of the holy of God, uh, the holiness of God. And we will only see the full glory of God when we're truly face-to-face with him in the next life. But Moses still says, show me your glory So what does God say to Moses? I will cause all my goodness to pass before you and will proclaim my name. The glory of God is who he is. The next chapter along, uh, just after Moses is asked to do that, God does do what he said he would do. He declares his name and he displays his goodness. Moses wasn't allowed to see the fullness of God but he still bows low in worship, it says, and cries out for God to go with them and for forgiveness for the people. And God responds with these words in chapter 34. And, oh, shall we Bible? Chapter 34 and verses... Uh, it says this, in chapter 34, verse 10. And the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation of the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do 
for you. No angel this time. I'm coming with you. What is fascinating that after Moses gets the new tablets of the law and the instructions and they build the tabernacle through the next few chapters, they arrive in chapter 40 of Exodus. And it says this, And the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not, until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. God did what he said he was going to do. Unlike for Moses, the glory of God is made, unlike for Moses, the glory of God for us is made known through Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, says Jesus, and continued then through the work of the Holy Spirit on earth today. The presence of God, the dwelling place of God with his people, the power of God for our salvation, the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you, the overwhelming love of God, the faithful one, manifest beauty. However you describe the glory of God, it is a distinguishing feature of people, of God's people. It's his presence with us. So praying here is asking God for more. More revelation of his love, more of his manifest beauty, more understanding that his overwhelming grace and mercy for us, both individually and corporately, that we can go and know that God is with us until the very end of the age. Moses loved the presence of God and spent time with him. Moses grasped the corporate nature of the people of God and asked that God would be with him. Moses refused to settle for a land in the pres if the presence of God wasn't there. Moses asked for God to show him his glory. <coughs> and so what is on then to God's to-do list for us? What is urgent for us to do? Well, at the top, like Moses, just become addicted to spending time with him. Draw near to him. Get to know him. Live in his presence. Put him at the center and dwell with him. Hear what he's got to say about us and to us, individually, but remember we're on a mission together. Secondly, don't compromise on a life lived in, uh, don't compromise on a life not lived in the presence of God. No matter how good it looks, it's never going to be as good. We only do what we see the Father doing. I consider it all nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And thirdly, ask God to show us more, more of his manifest beauty so that we can go and take his presence into those situations we see. That's what the rest of the prayer course is going to be about in life groups. Prayer for justice, prayer for mission, prayer for joy. But as Pete Gregg says, the point of prayer is not the power that it releases but it's the person it reveals. Prayer starts with the presence of God. Now show me your glory. And so I think we should do that. I think we should stand and just ask God for more of his presence 
the audacious prayer of Moses, now show me your glory. And we're just going to see what God does uh, this morning, this afternoon now. Uh, so let's stand. And we're just going to ask God, Holy Spirit, would you just thank you for being amongst us? Thank you for uh, speaking to us. Thank you for being with us this morning. But God, we, we want to be obsessed with the presence of God here. We want to be addicted to being in your presence, knowing you. How can you know anyone unless you're with them and you're talking to them and you're listening to them? So God, would you draw near to us as we draw near to you? And now, God, would you show us your glory? Holy Spirit, would you show us a glimpse, a further glimpse of the awesome love of God for us? As we wait on you here, show us your glory, Lord. Show us the manifest beauty of your holiness before us. Let us go from this place with a greater depth of who you are. Let us go from this place into all the places that we go this week and carry your presence with us. Lord, may we see things shift and move this week that we've been longing to see shift and move for weeks and months, Lord. As we stand in your presence this morning and as we go in your presence, Lord, may we see things and may we come back here next week rejoicing at what you have shown us. Not coming back as a limping people, desperate for another infilling, but Lord, we have been filled up every single day as we walk out into our lives. May your glory come in our workplaces. May your glory come in our schools. May your glory come in our homes, Lord. Lord, let your glory fall. The manifest beauty of your holiness seen in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.